Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Uh, I just want to say thank you to Ron for that introduction, and uh, I owe you five bucks for that. Um, it is uh, and has been a joy increasingly to be involved in Vital Point, even though the fr- frustrating part of it is that I only get to meet the wonderful uh, Sunday morning team that is here. Uh, at some point, we hope to meet many more of you. Uh, and I am uh, genuinely excited, and I'm not just saying that, but I'm genuinely excited about what God is going to do here at Vital Point as you begin to uh, come together as far as government regulations allow that to happen. Uh, I believe that what I'm talking about this morning, which is the glory of God, uh, is going to be manifest in your midst. And I hope that by the time I finish this message, you'll understand a little bit more of what I mean by that. Now, the Hebrew word for glory is kavoth, and the root meaning of the word is a heaviness or a weight, uh, and it came to mean someone's splendor or honor. And so in the Old Testament, the main use of this word is in reference to God, because who has more honor or splendor than God himself? And uh, the Old Testament talks quite a bit about the glory of God, of Yahweh. Yahweh was the covenant name by which God revealed himself to Moses. And uh, this glory appears, first of all, in the midst of the cloud and the fire that led the people through the wilderness. And then the glory appears on top of Mount Sinai, which is where Moses went up and he saw the glory of God in the midst of uh, a cloud. And uh, even though he was forbidden to see God's face, yet he witnessed the glory of God in an intimate manner. And then subsequently, the glory of God appeared in the tabernacle, uh, especially when uh, sacrifice was being conducted. Uh, Isaiah encountered the glory. Um, Solomon encountered the glory in the form of a cloud and a manifestation. Ezekiel also encountered the glory in that sense. But the concept of the glory of God goes beyond this sort of physical appearance of this fiery cloud that all these um, men saw, it goes beyond that into a deeper and wider meaning, which is simply equated with the character of God. So the glory of God isn't just the cloud that appeared at Mount Sinai. The glory of God is the character of God. And so the psalmist cries out, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 60. And then again in the 96th Psalm, it says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. And then there's an interesting uh, passage in Isaiah chapter 60 where Isaiah prophesies that the glory of the Lord is going to arise upon the people of God such that all the nations of the earth will be drawn to its light. And then he speaks very specifically 
uh, in Isaiah chapter 40 of a day when a voice is going to come crying in the wilderness, which we recognize as John the Baptist. And then he says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And that statement, 700 years before the time of Christ, leads us directly into the first chapter of John's gospel, which says this, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John, you may not realize it, but John is thinking here when he writes these words, of Moses' encounter with God on Mount Sinai. Uh, We know that because John says, I've seen the glory. The, the one man associated in the Old Testament with seeing the glory, if you spoke to a Jewish audience at the time of Jesus and said, who saw the glory? Above all, they would say it was Moses. And John's thinking, when he says this state, makes this statement, uh, we've seen the glory, he's thinking of Moses in Exodus chapter 34 on top of Mount Sinai. Uh, And nobody had seen the glory in exactly the same way Moses did. And yet now John is telling us, I've seen it too. And then he says, uh, we've seen the glory, uh, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he's describing Jesus as full of grace and truth. And back in Exodus chapter 34, that's where God, in the midst of the glory manifestation, revealed himself to Moses as the one abounding in love and faithfulness. But when you translate the Hebrew words for love and faithfulness into the Greek language, you come up with grace and truth. And so John here is, in his mind, he's up on Mount Sinai with Moses, he's seeing the glory And he's seeing God revealed in grace and truth the same way that God revealed himself to Moses on top of that mountain. And yet this is now associated with Jesus. And so Moses saw the glory of God, and God revealed himself to Moses as grace and truth. And now John says, 1,400 years later, I too have seen the glory of God. And I've seen it manifested in exactly the same way as grace and truth. So this unprecedented encounter of Moses with God on Mount Sinai, in which the covenant with God's people was formed and the people of God were set apart, somehow it's being repeated, but in an even greater way. So think for a minute about the significance of what John is saying. We have seen the glory. Well, what is the glory? The glory is the kavod. That's the manifest presence of Almighty God. It's that which Moses witnessed on Mount Sinai, that which no person can fully see and yet live. And you say, John, how could you have seen that glory? You'd probably never been to Mount Sinai. You certainly weren't on Mount Sinai when you were writing this. You you didn't see any cloud. Well, the answer is clear. He can say we've seen the glory because he saw Jesus. I don't know how anyone in their right mind could teach 
or could argue that the Bible doesn't teach the divinity of Jesus Christ because it's right here. Moses saw the glory. That was Yahweh. John says, I've seen the glory. It's Jesus. Jesus is God. And this glory, once made manifest in a visible cloud on Mount Sinai, which nobody could approach except for Moses without dying, now this glory, this is the amazing thing, has been made flesh. And this God, who was unapproachable on pain of death, surrounded by this fiery cloud, now this same God turns up on earth, walking the streets of Jerusalem. Everybody's seeing him. They're touching him. He's touching them. Even the unclean and the lepers are reaching out and touching him. It's incredible, mind-blowing. And on Mount Sinai, where the glory of God appeared, the word was handed over to Moses in the form of the two tablets, the copies of the covenant. But now the glory appears in the form of a man. And the word isn't handed down in the form of tablets. It's coming out of the mouth of this man. And the spoken word of God and God himself become inseparable in the person of Jesus because everything Jesus says is directly from God because he is God. And John, John says even more. He says, the word dwelt among us. Now that word dwelt is a loaded word. It goes back to the Hebrew word, which refers to God dwelling in the tabernacle. And how did God dwell in the tabernacle? In the cloud of glory. And so he says that Jesus came and tabernacled among us. He was like God dwelling in the tabernacle in our midst. If you turn the, 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 the verb, Hebrew verb dwell into a noun, you get the word Shekinah, the glory cloud in which God dwells. And now this glory cloud is walking in the streets of Jerusalem. But here's the thing. The religious people are so blinded, they can't see it. Now let me sum up uh, what I said so far. John is saying in the first chapter of his gospel, he's saying, if, you, if you're watching me this morning, and uh, Vital Point, one of the great things I like about Vital Point is there's always an openness to anybody to come. So if you're listening to this and you have no churchy background or whatever, uh, uh, let me just say the Gospel of John is just a great place. If you never read the Bible before, it's a great place, Pastor Ron would tell you the same thing, to just start reading about Jesus. So that's a little piece of advice. If you get absolutely nothing else in all these Hebrew words, and by the way, uh, if you think the teaching is deep and there's too much content in it, then blame Pastor Ron because he's the one that uh, loaded this topic on me. Okay, but John is saying three things here. Uh, I'm summing up uh, what I've said so far. Number one, the God who appeared on Mount Sinai has appeared in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. So Jesus is God. Number two, the entire character of God is revealed on Mount Sinai. His mercy, his faithfulness, his grace, his love, his truth, 
All of that character is embodied in the person of this man, Jesus. And number three, the Shekinah glory of God on Mount Sinai and the cloud, wherever it went, was manifest in the person of Jesus. Now, uh, the Jews should have recognized all this. Like I said a minute ago, the glory cloud was walking around. Uh, If you were... uh, Uh, within sight of Mount Sinai, when God came down, you couldn't miss it. And yet this glory cloud is now walking around the streets of Jerusalem, and the religious people are so blinded they can't see it. But they really had no excuse, because the prophets of the Old Testament had told them this was going to happen. They said God was going to come and tabernacle, remember that word tabernacle, He was going to come and pitch his tent with the glory cloud right in the streets of Jerusalem. God had said that. Zechariah chapter 2 says, I will tabernacle among you. That's that loaded word. I'll send the glory cloud among you. Joel says, just after he's talked about the prophesied, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, he says, I'm going to tabernacle in Zion. That means Jerusalem. Joel says, A day is coming when my spirit will be poured out on all flesh, which was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, God is going to pitch his tent and the glory will fill Jerusalem. And Ezekiel says, my tabernacle will be with them. They're not not speaking of some last day's rebuilt temple. That's not what the Bible is talking about. What the prophets are saying is that God himself is going to build his temple in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the tabernacle of God. He is the temple of God. Jesus said, destroy this temple, the physical one, and I'll raise it in three days. We don't need a future rebuilt temple, which will never be rebuilt anyway. The only temple we will ever need has already come, and his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every last prophecy of the Old Testament. In him and through him, every prophecy is fulfilled. There's nothing outstanding, uh, or at least outside of Christ. And so Jesus is all in all. And in him, the glory, the kavod of God is made manifest on the earth. So I asked the question, uh, why couldn't they see the glory when it was right in front of them? And to figure that out, we have to go to another chapter. We have to move from John chapter 1, which we've been talking about, over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, Paul makes his statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, what's he talking about? Well, the problem the Jews had was they could not understand the true meaning of the law. The Jewish teachers, the rabbis, the theologians of the day, their hearts and minds were actually blinded to everything Moses and the prophets had said about Jesus. It's amazing how they could be students of the Old Testament and yet not get the point of it. But the reason, Paul explains to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the reason they couldn't understand is they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Remember Joel prophesied the Holy Spirit's going to come and fall upon uh, all flesh? Well, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the key to understanding. And so Paul's trying to explain this to them. And the interesting thing is that just like John, Paul takes us back to the same chapter, Exodus 34, where Moses is up on top of the mountain, and he takes us to the same theme, which is the manifestation of the glory of God on Mount Sinai. And so uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in the earlier verses, there's one patch of five verses between verses 7 and 11 where Paul uses the word glory ten times. He's very fixated on the glory. And when he's writing that word, everybody that's uh, reading it knows he's talking about the cloud of glory on Mount Sinai. That's where it goes back to. Um, And so... In that story on Exodus 34, uh, if you read it through, it says that whenever Moses went into the presence of the glory, he removed his veil until he came out, and then he put this veil on because the glory of God had, um, had a physical impact on him so that it was, his face was shining with blinding light, and he put a veil on because it was too much for the people to see. And so in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul uses the example of this veil that Moses put on to shield them from the glory to explain that there's a veil still there. It's not a physical veil, but it's a veil in between the Jewish theologians and the true meaning of the law so that they can't see the glory. Now remember, who is the glory? The glory is Jesus. They can't see the glory because they've got this veil over their face. But, he says, whenever a person enters the presence of the Lord, that means whenever a person is, meets Jesus and encounters them, and I hope today if you've never met Jesus, well, this is a great day to meet Jesus. If you, you haven't met Jesus while I'm talking, uh, I, I'm telling you the glory of God is there for you. Come, out, come on out to Vital Point for that picnic in a couple of weeks and uh, all that's going to happen, you'll see real-life people that Ron, Pastor Ron Baker is actually not just a figure on a screen. There is a reality uh, in the flesh, and uh, it's, it's just as good as what you see on the screen. So you're going to I've just please come out if you need to meet Jesus, because this is an accepting church where everybody is welcome. But whenever a person enters the presence of the Lord, whenever a person meets Jesus... The veil, Paul says, is removed, and it's removed uh, permanently. And so uh, then he continues in verse 17. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We, we need freedom. We've all been thinking this last couple of years, we've been locked down, locked out, restricted, and all the rest of it. And uh, even though so many of these restrictions have been necessary, unfortunately, uh, we're all longing, aren't we, for a little more freedom. But the real freedom, the pot of gold uh, at the end of the rainbow, that is where you meet Jesus. That's real freedom. And even if you're not free on the outside, if you have restrictions in your life, you can be free on the inside. Now, so Paul's explaining, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is freedom. He's talking about encountering the Holy Spirit 
and the Holy Spirit revealing who Jesus is to us. So he's, he's still in that uh, thought of Moses Mount, on Mount Sinai. So he explains that the God who revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, he shows himself to believers today in the form of the Holy Spirit. Now the Lord on the mountain now shows himself to us as the Holy Spirit. See, there's an pr- interesting progression here. Forgive me for a little bit of theology, um, but if you don't want any, well, invite another speaker. So, okay. <laughs> At Mount Sinai, the glory of God is manifested as the Father. In the streets of Jerusalem, the glory of God is manifested as the Son. And now in Christian believers, the glory of God is manifested as the Holy Spirit. Now, don't tell me that the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity. It's full of the Trinity. And where the glory comes, he says, there comes freedom. Freedom from the power of sin, freedom from the condemnation of the law, freedom to live life as it was meant to be lived, freedom to be in fellowship with the living God. That's freedom. And he continues, And we all, with unveiled face... Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. A lot of glory here. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit within us who's changing us. And he starts off with this phrase, and we all with unveiled face. Now here's the difference between Moses and Christian believers. According to Exodus 34, Moses alone went into the presence of the Lord. Nobody else could go. And he took the veil off while he was in the presence of the Lord, and then he put it back on again. And when he went into the, uh, when the tabernacle was built, the the tent where uh, the presence of God was in the innermost place, Moses uh, went in the same way he put the a veil uh, took the veil off when he was inside in the presence of God, then he would put it on when he came out. Now, now Paul is telling us that whenever any Christian believer encounters the same presence of the Lord, the veil is removed. So under the old covenant, think about it for a minute, only one man experienced the glory of God that way. In fact, the glory was shielded from everybody else. But now it says... Every believer, it says, we all, with unveiled face, we all enter the glory. And when it says unveiled, the word unveiled, I'm I'm afraid uh, there's no way around this other than to just spit it out. It is a perfect participle in the Greek language. And uh, you, you never thought there could be an anointing of God on, the, on a perfect participle, but there is, because the meaning of it is that the veil has been removed once and for all, and the condition is irreversible. You'll never go back once you meet the glory. You'll never go back to your blindness. Once you've begun to see, you'll never be blind again. Once you enter the glory, you can't leave it. That's the incredible thing. When Jesus comes into your life, He stays for good. Now, Paul knew what he was speaking of because he had a day when he encountered the glory. It was in the city of Damascus. He'd been knocked off his donkey by a blinding light, and he couldn't see 
until a man called Ananias came and laid hands on him. And when he prayed for him, something like scales, the Bible tells us, fell off of Paul's eyes. The veil was removed and he saw the Lord Jesus. Whenever someone comes to Christ, they enter the glory and the veil is removed forever. And then it says, we are beholding the glory of the Lord. We have unveiled face. We've entered the glory. We've seen Jesus. And now we're beholding the glory of the Lord. Well, you might ask the question why it feels, you know, when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, it doesn't exactly look like you're beholding the glory of the Lord. Uh, and that's the picture here is actually someone beholding an image in a mirror. And, but a mirror in ancient writers was a figure of speech used to refer to a, a clarity of understanding. And so the idea here is that as we look into the mirror, we comprehend, we see clearly what the glory of the Lord is. And even we can begin to see it in us. The glory of the Lord is Christ. And seeing Christ is what removes the veil and sets us free. But there's more to it, it than that even. Now, beholding, uh, it's a present participle. You, you never thought you came to Vital Point Church this morning in order to receive an instruction in Greek. God bless you. Don't turn the channel off. Uh, I'm almost done. But beholding is a present participle, and the significance of that is it's an ongoing activity. So when it says we have unveiled face, that's a perfect participle. That means once you've entered the presence of God, he'll never leave you or forsake you. You're in for good. But while we're there, there's an ongoing, continuous, daily activity which is described as beholding. Every day is an opportunity to see Christ, to look at Christ, to look into a mirror and see Christ and have him change us. The more we behold Christ, the more clarity we get about God, the more clarity we get about ourselves, the closer we get to God, the more freedom we have in God. As we think about Christ, as we pray to Christ, as we read about Christ in the Bible as we share the life of Christ with the other folk in the fellowship that we're part of. Our lives become more focused on Him. Our understanding increases and becomes greater. Our knowledge becomes deeper. Our experience of the glory becomes stronger. And the result in this last phrase here that in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Here, here's the thing. Uh, the glory has come to us. The glory is within us. Uh, the image we're being transformed to, that's Christ, because Christ is the perfect image of God. As we behold him day by day, we're being transformed day by day. That's the transformation of our inner person. It's, it's when Jesus went up the mountain of transfiguration in Matthew 17, he had a physical transformation. Uh, he didn't need to be transformed on the inside. He was already God. 
Well, he was transformed on the outside, uh, almost like Moses again on, on the mountain. But for you and me, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, of our heart, of our inner person in Christ, that even though we on the outside are aging, and some of us more so than others, and uh, one day we'll all die, uh, nevertheless on the inside, the glory of God is being manifest, and we're being prepared for a life forever in eternity, which is real life, which what we're living here is only, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just the, the uh, introduction to the real event. So, uh, remember now, I'm, I'm actually going to try to land the plane here. Uh, remember what John told us. He says he saw the glory in Jesus. Now, the greatest manifestation of the glory of God in the life of Jesus was when he hung on that cross for our sins and brought us the freedom we enter into by the Holy Spirit. That didn't look like the glory. That's why those Jewish rabbis, they nailed him to the cross. They couldn't see it. But that was the greatest manifestation of the glory in the life of Jesus, apart from, obviously, his resurrection. But we, we go looking for the glory in some strange places. Some of us uh, in the body of Christ chase extraordinary experiences. We kind of long for the visible cloud that Moses saw. And uh, God can manifest himself in any, any way that he wants. But really, the glory that he's looking for is the glory of Christ and his character in our inner man and inner woman. The image of Christ, the likeness of Christ, it's when we, we begin to look like Jesus. And the glory is manifest in us the same way it was in Jesus when we take up our cross and follow him and lay our lives down and put the lives of our neighbors ahead of ourselves. That is the glory. Now, I don't want to discourage you from believing that you may live one day in an extraordinary experience at Vital Point Church where a cloud of glory appears. Uh, it might happen. Who knows? But that's really not what Paul is meaning here by beholding the glory and being transformed by it. But think about this one incredible fact. And if this is all you take home with you, even though you're already at home in this context, and if this is all you get out of this talk, uh, then, then take this. Just take this. The glory of God that appeared on Mount Sinai, the glory of God that appeared in the tabernacle, the glory of God that was manifest in Jesus, that glory now resides in you and in me as men and women who follow Jesus. The presence of God is no longer restricted to one little cubicle where one time, once a year, one man only could enter it. The presence of God is now released in the earth wherever men and women encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are one man, one woman, mobile tabernacles of the Holy Spirit.
as an incredible thought. And it doesn't matter. You say, I look a bit run down as a tabernacle. It, it, it doesn't matter. It, the, what, what matters is, is not where you're at. What matters is where you're going to and where you come from. If you're on a journey, which all of us are, and we're growing closer to Jesus, you can measure your maturity and measure the manifestation of glory in your life. Don't, don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your pastor. Don't look at somebody else and compare. Just look at your own life and say, is there more of Jesus in me than there was last year? Or five years ago? And yeah, the devil will come along all the time and say, but this, but this, but this, you've got this problem, that problem. Well, guess what? We all have problems. That's not the point. The point is, are we growing closer on the journey? Are we further ahead than we were? And if you can say yes to that, then the glory is increasing in your life. You're beholding Christ. You're being transformed. And it's all a preparation to that one amazing day when we'll be translated, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye into a glorious resurrection body like that of Jesus. So until that day, saints, behold Him. Follow Him. Take up your cross. Walk in His love and give it away. And know this, if you do, the glory will come. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you, the infinite Creator God, has placed your glory within us in the person of your Holy Spirit. Oh, that you sent Jesus, the visible manifestation of the glory who walked the streets of Jerusalem that that same Jesus was willing to go to the cross to be the one perfect, sufficient sacrifice for us. And having been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father, now He pours out His Spirit upon us so that the glory can come also to us. So Lord, I pray, first of all, for anyone listening to me, that has never had that encounter with Jesus. Please, Lord, just encounter them today. For that person without hope, please give them hope. Please show them there is a hope. Please show them for the person that thinks there's no meaning to my life. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. There's a meaning to your life because God created you and put you on this planet for a purpose, every last one of you. For those that are discouraged, that you'd pick them up and say there's glory yet to come. And for those of us who are just plodding along, trying to be faithful, trying to take up our cross, sometimes failing, sometimes succeeding, just encourage us, Lord, that we're all on a journey that's going to end in absolute glory. We give you thanks today. In Jesus' name, amen.